Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are back for 2019, and we are starting a series called Next. And the conversation we're starting with today is called The Importance of Disruption. The question we have for you to start is, what, if any, New Year's resolutions did you make this year? Enjoy. Last year we had this word at New Abbey, it was a word for reclaim, and that word was helpful because there's so many of us in this room who are going through deconstruction. There are people in this room who said, yeah, there was this, once there was a way of life, these are the things that I knew, this is the church that I grew up in, this is the family that was given to me, this is the life that I had, but now I'm going to let some of those things go. And as I'm letting some of those things go, I find that other people around me, particularly from this old world, aren't quite comfortable with my questions. Have any of you been there? Then some of you have gone through that process and you're reconstructing some things. You're saying, I don't wanna throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to pick some things up. There's some new things that I wanna put in my life. And interestingly enough, this Jesus thing actually could still work for me. I mean, maybe not like Noah's Ark and the zoo boat stuff, but like Jesus is going. (laughs) Two by two, my friends, they all fit. (laughs) Just not the dinosaurs. It's in the Bible, I don't know. (laughs) And there's a word that I think that we have this year, which is this word for next. Because next for me means we're not just reclaiming things. We're not just redefining and reclaiming and repicking things up, which we all need to do. Uh, I've been in the world for a long time of progressive, affirming, inclusive church where people are like, oh, I don't want to say church anymore, or I don't want to say Jesus, or I don't want to say faith, or I don't want to say God. And for me, it's how about when people think of God, they think of the God that you're talking about, not the small one who's angry all the time. How about when they think of Jesus, they think about the one who crosses all borders and all boundaries and brings healing wherever he goes, and that's what they think about when they think about you. How about when they say church, they're not just thinking thinking of lasers and light shows and Judah Smith flinging that microphone around, (laughs) you know? They're thinking of a body of people who show compassion and kindness and goodness to each other. We can reclaim all of those words, but what's next will require action from us. It will require that we not only experience healing, that we not only experience transformation, which doesn't happen alone, it happens with one another, but that we will also experience maturity. And that we're all in this process of not only deconstructing, but reconstructing. And if we can do that thing well, it doesn't end here. There will always be new things to deconstruct, and there will always be new things to reconstruct. And where the church has gone wrong for a lot of history is that we're so terrified for people to ask questions. We're so terrified for people to doubt. We're so terrified for people to wonder. But we live in Los Angeles in 2019, right? There's a guy named Elon Musk in our city who's like sending things to Mars, right? And we have to deal with a God and we have to deal with a Bible and a faith that can somehow handle Neanderthals and Tesla because it's not that God didn't know about it, it's that we didn't know about it. So as we've reclaimed some things throughout the history of this community, now we're gonna think about what's next. And that's an individual question, and that's a corporate question. So I just wanna remind you of New Abbey's mission, which is simply this, that we are a Jesus community, telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2019. It means this, that our mission is always evolving. 
Because what this church was when it was founded is not what this church is today. Because it's not about a brand. It's not about a name. It's not about something on a website. It's about human beings who embody whatever realities they have going on. And some of you in this room are deconstructing like crazy and you barely have anything to hold on to. Praise God. And some of you in this room are picking all kinds of new stuff up. Praise God. But you are the body. You are the mission statement moving forward. Now, would that lead us as we tell a bigger story of God that cannot be boxed in to real healing and real transformation and real maturity? These are the things that we're hoping to do. So we want to talk about disruption today and how we disrupt the norms. But to do that, we've got to talk about some things. We've got to talk about hashtag Happy New Year. Uh, we're going to talk about monoliths, the question that I think is the question we're all holding on to. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite Bible character, John the Baptist. And then we're going to get practically into some healing, into some transformation, into some maturity. And what does that tell us about our fruit in this community? I think New Year is a very interesting time of year. Uh, it's no wonder to me that people make resolutions because if you ate and drank what I did for the last two weeks, you would make a resolution, right? <laughs> I did not quite treat my body like the temple that it is. I uh, came back from Wisconsin where there are just no green things. I don't know. They just don't even sell them. It's just a thing. Yeah. It was beautiful. I had a very beautiful diet of brown, white, and beige. And it was liquid form mainly, but it was still delicious. Yeah. So I came home and uh, a cleanse was needed. So we make resolutions that we want something in life. We want these moments to mark ourselves by to say, oh, this is the thing that will help me to think different about where my life could be going. We all want that. And culturally, that when we move into a new year, it's something that, that helps us. And what I find interesting about that we make New Year's resolutions or what happens every time we enter into a new year is that there's this juxtaposition of what happens in the rest of our life. In the rest of our life, we're actually quite terrified of change. In the rest of our life, we actually want something absolute. It's fascinating to me that the language that we use about God is words around perfection. It's this thing that's unmoving, unshakable. And what I believe is that language is not helpful. And the reason that language is not helpful is because nobody in this room has ever experienced something absolute. That's radical. Nobody in this room has ever experienced perfection. You might say, well, God is perfect or God is absolute, but you're not. So even if that is the case, you still can't experience God in that way because you're ever changing. And I think that we need to throw a lot of that language out because it's not helpful. It's, it shouldn't be terrifying to you that what if God actually enjoys the evolution of the universe? What if God actually enjoys your evolution? What if this God is incredibly interested in change, not terrified of it? And in all of the Bible stories that we'll talk about today, we'll see that there is this macro narrative that takes place throughout the scripture where this God from beginning to end of the scriptures is interested in change and interested in evolution. And there's never a story of a static God. Why? Because you're not static human beings. And so change is incredibly important. Don't believe me on it? Look to the very first Bible, creation. Creation is always changing. There are always disruption that has to take place in the natural universe for new things to be born. This is just the way the cosmos are built. 
You need black holes for supernovas. You need um, atoms and cells that they got to transform and change and transcend, transcend and be included into something bigger than they were previously. Everything in your natural life goes through an evolution. Thank God you are not the same person you were in high school, right? <laughs> Maybe some of you are like, I was awesome. <laughs> I peaked at 17 to, to be truthful. Are any of you like terrified that someone will like read back to you what you wrote in somebody else's yearbook one day? Yeah. Oh, that guy's a pastor now, fascinating. <laughs> I was a real United Nations humanitarian in my adolescence, people. <laughs> Caring for people all over the place. <laughs> so change is the natural, disruption is the natural, and we should be open to that. Were any of you watching Netflix with your holidays, just doing a little time, watching some new things out there? Anybody? Ellen, anyone watch the new Ellen series? Yeah, that was good. Did anybody do what I did the other night and watch a little Taylor Swift in their life? No? <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I'm a 30-year-old white man who watched Taylor Swift by myself in my bed for two hours when my wife was downstairs watching something else. And I'm not ashamed. Or as Britney calls Taylor Swift, Beyonce light. So, there you go. It's true. It's funny because it's true. But it was good. But uh, what's her tour called? What's her, what's her, uh, what's it called? What's her album? Rep, you thank God, right? Okay, whatever. I loved watching it because I don't really know anything about Taylor Swift. Like, I like listening to her music, right? It's, it's, it's catchy, it's whatever. But watching the way that she was telling this narrative about the change in her life was actually inspiring for me. All that it did is it told the story that we're all trying to tell, which is the eusonomia is like the love story. I don't know how the song goes. How does the song go? You know, what is that? How's it go? We were both young when I first saw you. This is why I don't delete worship, right? To whatever she's doing now, like dancing with snakes. It's amazing. All because of Kim Kardashian, I guess. I don't know. I don't keep up with this stuff, people. The whole point is we change. We evolve. We grow. And it's disruption that gets us there. And we shouldn't fear the disruption that is natural and normal in the cosmos. And we shouldn't fear the disruption that is a part of each of our lives. In fact, if many of us started to choose certain kinds of disruption in our life, I think what it would also teach us is to be able to handle the disruption when it comes when other people choose it for us. Because we use too many words like, I need more balance. What's balanced in the universe? Nothing. It's always in flux. It's always changing, it's always growing, and that's okay. There was a temple that is in the Bible. The temple is like the canvas that is behind most of the Old Testament, and it is the canvas that Jesus is always moving to in the Gospels. It's not mentioned a whole lot, but every Jew would know that it's there. The original temple was built by Solomon. By the way, if you can't see it, there is a bejeweled temple sitting in the middle of this room, and you should take some time to look at it later. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jaren, wherever Jaren is for making that for us. Bejeweled temples. 
That temple was originally destroyed in 586 BC by everybody's favorite superpower, the Babylonians. And then later, uh, Cyrus the Great re helped rebuild the temple for the Israelites in 531. And there's this thing called Second Temple Judaism, which was incredibly important because this is the world that Jesus grew up in. He grew up in a world where in the history of humanity, there's never been a group of people who have been dominated by every superpower the world has ever seen and continue to maintain their faith. Right? Israel was dominated by the Egyptians, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, by the Romans, and yet they continue to follow their God. And just from an anthropological standpoint, no other civilization ever did that. So what we have now is there. <laughs> temple! I was just, I was waiting for someone else to give me an amen about the temple, but. I guess the kids will do it for me. <laughs> so the temple was incredibly important for how Jesus understood the world that he was coming into. There is this uh, wonderful story that happens around Christmas time about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were the parents of John the Baptist. They were incredibly good Jews for their day. They also were these people who were barren or impotent. We don't know. The point is they couldn't have kids. And in Jewish society, that meant everything. It meant that you couldn't pass on eternal life to the next generation, that you wouldn't see yourself and be seen. And in some ways, it also meant that you were sinning. And because of this temple world that they lived in, they dealt with the pressure of what it meant to be barren or impotent in their society. They were pariahs in some way. And yet, interestingly enough, Zechariah was a priest who worked in the temples. And this temple was fascinating for a lot of reasons. Most of us don't think about God in a geographical way like the Israelites would have done. In Israel, uh, how they thought about God was simply this. There was a temple in which Yahweh literally lived. This was the throne seat of where God was. And the rest of the universe moved out from there. And so as you moved even into the temple, there was these concentric circles that would get smaller until you got to the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was a place that only one priest would go per year on the Day of Atonement. And this is how you understood the world, that the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the closer you got to God. And the farther you got away from the Holy of Holies, the farther you got from God. So in the book of Leviticus, we'll see things that they'll take these goats when they're making the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They'll take one goat and they'll sacrifice it at the temple and they'll take another goat and they'll go release it in the wilderness. Why? Because the wilderness is farther away from God. In the wilderness is where you see the demonic. In the wilderness is where things are that are not holy or that they're ungodly. This is just the way that they thought about the world. You are holier the closer you move to the thing. You are less holy the further you move away. And that was a part of the understanding of why you made pilgrimages every year to the temple of God. This is incredibly important for you to understand. This is the norm that the, of the world that Jesus grew up in, right? And that Jesus taught around. And this is the norm of the world for John the Baptist as well. Everything was based in this temple. It's just like our worlds. We all have a temple in some way where we thought this is the thing that could completely contain God. You were told that about a church. You were told that about a denomination. You were told that about a creed. You were told that about the Bible. We've all been told that there is some vessel and this is what contains God and you should not question that thing. Anybody get that kind of speech ever? 
Oh, thank you, all eight of us, I like it. Where are the kids screaming when I, I got a lot more head nods though. <laughs> That's metaphor. The Bible's trying to show us something that literally God never belonged in a box. That literally God is trying to evolve out of the boxes that we put God in because God was in a literal box. <laughs> right? You don't have to be like a brainiac with deep theology be like, oh, I get where he's going there. <laughs> There's boxes. God, okay. And so for the world of John the Baptist, he would understand all of this. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are barren and they're impotent. And once a year, right, they would go into the Holy of Holies. They didn't have any kids. Um, And so there was thousands of priests that were in Israel at this time. And it was basically the luck of the draw that somebody would be allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and do all of the shamalunga ding-dongs and smoke and whatever they were doing. That's the official Hebrew. And when Zechariah gets to go into the Holy of Holies, he's told by an angel of God that he's going to have a kid. God is disrupting the system for the world that they know inside this Holy of Holies. But here's something that I never connected in my life until last year. Because I know these stories about John and the Christmas and the nativity stories. And I know later on, there's this guy named John the Baptist, for any Bible lovers out here, who will get beheaded. And there's like another story of John the Baptist in the middle who does like a little baptism thing with Jesus. But then I was thinking to myself, how crazy the narrative is. Imagine if you're Zechariah and if you're Elizabeth. You are like the best kind of Jew of Jews that you can be. Even your husband gets to go into the Holy of Holies and you are told by God in the box that God is in that you are going to have a kid. What do you think your kid's gonna do one day? Work in the temple. Your kid is gonna be all about the system that you came from, except that he didn't. It's like the narrative is trying to tell us something. Even when you think that God can only speak to you in a box because God spoke to you in a box, (laughs) this God is trying to say, I have a bigger narrative for you as a human being and for the rest of the world. And that gets us to Luke chapter three. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over a word that I can't say and another word that I can't say. <laughs> Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. What? The scandal of it, seriously, the scandal of it. God came to you, the barren and impotent ones, in the temple where God lives, and your kid is hanging out in the wilderness? Your kid is deconstructing, has some doubts, is wondering these things, loves gay people? What? We've been there, in the wilderness. It's not a word that's loaded for us, but it is a word that is loaded for the ancient world about how they understood how God works and what God is doing. And John is already disrupting the system by being completely outside of anything that it recognizes. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, 
He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. This is a crazy universal passage from the Old Testament. It is not saying that John the Baptist is preparing the way so that everybody will go to the same Baptist church that he went to as a kid. It is not saying that whatever John's experience with God is, that he's trying to make that everybody else's experience with God. This is a story that is radical and subversive, that God showed up in the box that God lived in. And but what God sees is that's not the end of your journey or my journey or any human being's journey. Thank God that so many of us start there, but that's not where we should end. We should grow. We should ask better questions. We should get the opportunity to stand on stage in front of people that we love and know and say, this is who I truly am. And if there is any world that doesn't allow you to do that, it is not a temple worth living in. That where God is constantly calling the people of God is not to the temple, but to the wilderness. God is most often found in the most God-forsaken places. It's not either or, they're both needed. We need a temple. We all need something concrete and a place to start where we say, oh, that's how we talk about this thing and understand this thing. Oh, that's helpful for me. But we should all eventually leave that box to say there's something bigger here for my humanity. And what I love about New Abbey is that we're a community of people who are okay with that. You're okay being in a conversation with somebody else and they might have different ideologies than you. They have a completely different experience than you. Praise God. That's the whole point. The whole point is that our worlds can be expanded into something much bigger. Let's get practical with all of this. So there's a temple. There's the world that John the Baptist grew up in. And eventually John will be killed because of the ways that he challenges the government and the systems and the temple of his day. What is that story telling us? It's not about a literal story of a guy who lived 2000 years ago about who became beheaded. This is a story about us as human beings who as a faith community now can have something to learn and glean from what this story means. And it's simply this. Sometimes when you go outside of the system, people will challenge you for it. Sometimes when you go outside of the system and the norms, the world will not be ready for the thing that you're offering. That was true of Jesus. That was true of Gandhi. That was true of all kinds of people in our world. It was true of Martin Luther King Jr. That when you are doing something radical and living outside of the system that you are given for the sake of being free, it's probably going to cost you something. I don't say that lightly. I say that as a reality for where we're at and who we are. That disruption is a normal part of the thing. But most of the time for good evangelical or conservative Christians in the United States, we were told that no one was supposed to challenge the system and that the system works for everybody, except it didn't. If you were a woman, you were only allowed to teach kids or something like that, right? If you were gay, you were literally evil, right? If you were a person of color, it'd be like, come into our multicultural church. Wink, wink, right? <laughs> Seriously, I'm not saying that just to trash on it. I'm saying we have so much to learn. And the only way that we learn is by experiencing and being willing to go into the wilderness, being willing to call into question the temples that we once held so dearly. It doesn't mean that we have to just rage against the machine soundtrack on them, right? 
Some of it might mean that we recognize what the temple was and we also recognize where we're going and that that's okay. And so what I love about the John the Baptist story is that there's real healing that's offered here. That grace does not come from us. That grace is something that comes from God. The story of John the Baptist begins with people who are barren and impotent. They didn't have the capacity to have kids. It didn't matter how hard they prayed or what they did or how many rituals or if they went to every Bible study on Wednesday night, my friends. They weren't having kids until God shows up. And that's the reality for the beginning of all of our lives at some capacity. When we're aware of the reality that God somehow shows up, that is the definition of grace, an unconditional love of God that meets us exactly where we are. Grace is not a story that you said the creeds and you got baptized and you did the things and then finally the love of God showed up because you signed the pledge card. Grace is, it's been here the whole time, people. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear how grace has been in every part of our narrative, even the parts that feel so disrupted. Would we be open to see that God is showing up constantly in the wilderness of our lives? And that's where healing begins. It begins outside of ourselves some way and then also within us. It doesn't begin in somebody else's narrative. It doesn't begin in somebody else's creed. It doesn't begin in somebody else's understanding of God. It begins with your experience and your relationship and where you're at with God. It's no wonder that where the Bible eventually evolves to is that the temple will actually literally get destroyed. And the language of Paul is, there's no need for a temple because you, my friends, are the temples of God. Look at the evolution there. It started with a person. Eventually, people build a box and then they build a bigger box. Their box gets destroyed. They build another box, right? And Jesus comes along and says, this thing's got to go. Why? Because the only thing that holds God is all of us. And learning to see that God was in each one of us and learning to trust the experience of what God is healing in each and every person. That's where the magic is at. That's where grace is. That's what John the Baptist teaches us. He didn't follow all of the rules. He trusted where God was leading him and where God was leading him was outside of that box. And that should encourage and empower every person in this room that you're not a bunch of heretics. You're a bunch of people who are saying, I think there's just a bigger story of God that's being told in this world. And so we begin with healing and then we move towards transformation. Healing teaches us this, that we need to surrender and that we're powerless and that there are things in this world that we need something beyond ourselves. Nothing is God to change our lives. Transformation is this. You might be powerless, but you're not helpless. You have a will in this world. And that if you experience grace at some level, we cannot be bystanders. We must be participants in this narrative of grace. That at some level, we have to enter in in some way. You know that it's true at New Year's when you ate too much, right? You can't pray your gut away. (laughs) I've tried. (laughs) You got to go do something about it. That if you've experienced emotional pain, I trust and hope that God will somehow begin a work of healing in you. But at some level, is this the year that you're going to allow disruption to finally push you into therapist's office? because there's deeper work that needs to be done. Is this the year, like for Paul and Marx, it was last year, where you finally go to your families and say, this is who I am. Is this the year that you finally, I don't know, do get on that workout plan? Whatever it may be. I trust that God is moving in each of us in different ways because those things are not trivial. Those are real components of our humanity. 
And when we trust that God wants to heal us, but we also trust that we are participants in grace and in transformation. And so the question for each of us in this room is, I know I'm not helpless. What's the next step that I can take in this midst of deconstruction, in the midst of reconstruction, so that God's work of healing can continue to bear roots in me and move in a deeper way? And then if we can move from healing, and if we can participate somehow in transformation, I think the journey for all of us in different aspects of our lives, right? This is not all happening simultaneously. There's some parts of all of our lives where some of us are just still adolescents. And there are other parts of our being where some of us are incredibly mature. And this is why we need a diverse body around us so that we can fill the gaps for one another. But as you've moved through transformation, if you're ready to pick up some maturity, there are some things that we need to do to grow up. There's a kid in the room, so I'll save my F word. Uh, I have a a sponsor. I'm in a 12-step group. I've been in a 12-step group for seven years of my life because I'm a sex addict. And there was a season in my life where I would have never shared that with anybody. There was a season in my life 12 years ago when I had an affair on my wife where I would have never shared that with anybody, where I worked as a pastor for a church and I would have never been allowed to stand on a stage and tell that. But as healing happened in me, as I had to experience and participate with transformation and eventually move into maturity, what I eventually started to need to do is to take ownership of my own life and stop blaming all of the temples that I came from. Because I did that for years. Well, it was my mommy issues and it was my dad when he left out those playboys and it was my grandma and it's all of my aunts and it's all of these people and I have all of these resentments and if they wouldn't have done these things, then I wouldn't have done this and I'm just tired of it. And for some of us, there are some real things. Other people have disrupted our lives in ways that they've taken something from you. And I'm not challenging that at all. And I'm not saying you got to get over that. There's real healing that needs to be done there. And there's real healing that I have to do about my family of origin. But there's also real healing that I have to do about the choices that I have made for my life. And right before Christmas, I'm just having like a boo-hoo moment. My wife and kids had already flown to Wisconsin. I'm talking to my sponsor. And he's just listening to me very graciously. And then at the end of the conversation, it sounds, he says, you know what it sounds to me like? You just got to grow the F up. <laughs> and honestly, I needed that. I couldn't have taken that if I was just barely in the beginning of the place of healing. That would have been traumatic for me. That would have been destructive for me. But because of five years of relationship with somebody or when my therapist says things that, that, like that to me, when I've moved through transformation and I enter into maturity in certain aspects of my life, the answer is you are absolutely correct. Because all that I want to do right now is blame all of my past temples and all of the things that they've done to me, but now I'm a big boy. And I can have all of those resentments, but I also have to be gracious to the fact of that these other people are, are around me who are, I have resentments for, they're on their own journey. So what do I want? I want everyone to be gracious about the wilderness that I'm in, but I want to judge all of the temples that they're in? Might not work. And so we're all on this path of both and, not either or, where we have to recognize the places that we've come from and be open to the disruption of the places that might be for us next. And we get there when we are open to grace and healing. We get there when we are participants in transformation. And eventually that bears fruit in us when we say that we've lived these things out for a little bit of time and that there's some real maturity in us. When I look around this room, I know that there are tons of you who have gone through these stories of healing and transformation and maturity. And what I'm excited about this place is that it's not just about my narrative or Brittany's narrative or whoever's narrative, it's about all of our narratives. 
that this room is filled with tons of wisdom. There's people like Candace and Crystal who had the luxurious opportunity of having a very bougie dinner with the other night. Me and my wife, and we just so appreciated their narrative and listening to the pain of their coming out story and what they went through and the, the, how they had to be closeted and what that meant and who they are now and the kind of mothers that they are to their children was so incredibly beautiful. And I know that because they sit in this room that they provide hope for other people in this room who still haven't come out or who one day dream that maybe I could be in that relationship and maybe I could truly be free and maybe we one day could have kids. I'm grateful for every time that I get to share a story about my addiction because I know that there's people in this room who are alcoholics or who have narcotics issues, who have sex issues, and that you always email and you say, I've been dealing with this thing and I've been all alone and finally somebody said that and this is who I am and I'm tired. If you ever heard the story of John Travick as a blue collar guy who worked in Michigan who had a bigger idea about who he could be, and the disruption of what that would mean because he wanted to be a cartoonist. That's a big jump, by the way, moving blue collar in Michigan to a cartoonist in LA. And you hear about his personal narrative and what him and his wife went through for years to make those choices and their personal narrative. It's a beautiful story that we need one another. And I could literally take another hour and just go one by one through so many of you in this room and what you've gone through, that you were open to healing, that you've experienced transformation. And now because you have some maturity, you have such gift of grace to offer others here. And so for all of us in this room, continue the deconstruction, continue to doubt, continue to question, because that only will lead you to more wonder and mystery. And for those of you who are ready to step into something new, start to reclaim some things, reconstruct some things, pick some new stuff up, and be open to how God might have something for you next. And together, let's find healing. Because my healing is dependent upon your healing, and your healing is dependent upon mine. And together, we'll heal the world. Would you get in some groups and answer this question with one another? What area of your life are you ready to be disrupted? And maybe for what? For healing? For transformation? For maturity? Find the same people. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.